Hey everybody, thanks for checking us out. I'm going to just take some time and just share uh, on the subject that I know that many people are preaching on, many things have been shared around this truth, but I want to talk about courage and I want to talk about the commands of courage or commands for courage. And I uh, trust to be helpful just in whatever you're facing, whatever we're in, we need to be a courageous people. God's very clear that what He's called us to do requires courage. And uh, when we lose courage, I think we lose everything. Our vision and dreams and strategies are important, but if we lose courage, we kind of lose it all. And I think we're going to keep contending. One of the prophetic words of my life from a very small, yeah, yeah, as a small boy at a very young age has always been this, be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. To be honest, I often used to think that means I should shout louder, I should be more, do more. Uh, and be heard more but actually I realize more and more that courage is not something you do more of it's possibly more of God in us and us doing less not about ourselves but being strong in God and being courageous to to stay the course and to walk into the bigness of what God has for us and if you have a Bible I'm going to ask you quickly just to turn with me uh, to the book of Joshua Joshua chapter 5 a great text and uh, in Joshua chapter 6 we often go to and I certainly do when it talks about taking Jericho the most fortified city uh, there was no way in and no way out but actually it starts in Joshua's Joshua chapter 5 the taking and the fall of Jericho and so I want to just use a few scriptures there just to remind us of some great truth that gives us courage before I get to some of the practicals of how we can be more courageous and the commands he gives us for courage but in Joshua chapter 5 in verse 13 and the heading being the fall of Jericho, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Again, an incredible picture we see here. Uh, I guess many of us are not used to uh, seeing a man with a drawn sword because we don't go to battle like these guys used to. But in a day that, that Joshua was facing, he was out praying, I believe. He was out as a good leader strategizing. His people, the, the Israelites, were, I guess, resting. But as a leader, as a soldier, and as a shepherd, he was out there obviously carrying some burden and realizing there's this fortified city that awaits us. We don't know how we're going to take out the city. We don't know how we're going to defeat the city as part of God's plan. But we're not sure how we're going to do that. Carrying the weight and responsibility. And he was out there. And while he's out there, just scoping the scene, it, was, it shows us, he sees this man with a drawn sword. Now, in battle times, when a man has a drawn sword, what that means is that man is there to fight. And so, uh, being a good leader, a man of courage, I guess, and a man of intrigue, he walks over to this man and he asks him the question, that is an important one. Are you for us or for our enemies? And I love the response of this man. He says in verse 14, neither. <laughs> I'm shocked by that response. Neither. It's not a politician who he was talking to. This was Jesus Christ. And he was not, uh, the point was being made here was that I'm not here to take your side and I'm not here to take their side. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over because this is my battle, not yours. And I think that is so strategic and so important. So let's read on. It says, Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come down. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. This is how we know this was not an angel because we don't worship angels. If it was an angel, uh, then Joshua would have stopped worshiping and now bowing down and the angel would have said, Stand up. But actually, 
The, the, the theologians show us and tell us that this was Jesus Christ himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. He was standing there. And when Joshua heard that, that I didn't come here to two sides. I've come here to take over. This is my battle. It says he fell to his knees and he worshipped. And this is what he said and asked him, What message does the Lord have for his servant? And verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so again, without trying to kind of play on words here, it's an interesting notion for us to be understand again that, that Jesus was telling Joshua that I'm not here to take your side and you're not, I'm not on your side. Actually, I'm here to take over and you're on my side. Which changes everything, friends. If you and I are truly going to be a people who walk in courage and understand courage, we've got to understand this battle is not our battle. What we give ourselves to is not ours. We're not hoping God's in what we're doing. God's saying, you're on my side. And so it's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we still on God's side? Not, are we doing our thing and hoping God's in it? Not, are we kind of fulfilling some mission and trusting God's with us? We love to quote, if God be for us, who can be against us? And that's a great truth. But this is not, is God for us? This is, are we for God? Are we still on God's side? And, and I've been asking myself that question many times, even for the churches that we're involved in, the team that I lead, NCMI, I'm asking, are we still on God's side? Not, are we doing our thing and trusting God is for us? And it's a good thing, because when you get to understand again, you're still on God's side, then, friends, we're going to have courage and understand. And I think it's an incredible, incredible truth to, to be reminded of that the battle belongs to the Lord. And the question the Lord keeps asking is, are we still on His side? He's got this, yes. It's His battle, yes. We're part of it, yes. But it's His battle. He's in control. And He's not backing us. We're backing what He's doing and getting on board with that. And so I love the notion of Him falling to His knees and worshiping in reverence and fear. And taking you know, the command was, take off your shoes. Your sandals, why you're standing on holy ground. Why? Because what I've called you to is not a good idea. This thing is, is, is it's reverence. It's a, it's, a, it's a God thing. It's a divine thing, not a man thing. And I think it's important for us to remind of what we're involved in is a God thing. It's a divine thing. It's not an our thing. And we're hoping God's in it. We know other texts like this. In Exodus chapter 3, the exact same thing happened there with Moses with a burning bush, as you and I know the story well. And Moses is taking care of the sheep. You can read it in Exodus chapter 3. And there he sees this bush on fire, but it's not burning. And so he walks over to it to have a look at it. And he gets this command, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. In Isaiah chapter 6, another great text, in the year that King Uzziah died. Again, I'm highlighting this truth because it's so important for us to understand. If we're going to truly have courage, we've got to know that what we're involved in is a God thing and we're backing what God's doing. And we need that divine revelation in everything we do because that's what will give us courage. And so in Isaiah 6, as you know the story, the King Uzziah had died. It was a downtime, it was a difficult time for the region and for the place. And as a prophet... Isaiah the prophet, what was his job? As a prophet to declare the word of God. So he needed to hear God's word to declare it. But it says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Interesting, he didn't get a word from God. He saw God. God revealed himself and he said, I saw the Lord seated high and exalted and his train filled the temple. And he says, I fell to the ground and said, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, of unclean lips and I live with those who are unclean and my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord and then there's this commission where he, he, his, he the, the angel came and touched his lips and made him clean and then the call came 
who will go for us and who can we send? And Joshua, uh, Isaiah said, here are my Lord, send me. So again, it was this divine call, friends, that, that God wanted him to see God first, not just get on with the task, but to come back to the place. This is a God thing. This is a, 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 a reverence thing that we've got to stand in awe and understand it's a divine thing. And out of that, the whole of Isaiah's message changed from not woe to you, but actually woe is me because I'm carrying the glory of God. And I think it's a great understanding again for us who are in any ministry, any leadership, doing what it is God's called us to do. We also know in the New Testament, probably our most quoted text uh, is uh, Matthew chapter 28 with the whole great commission, the call of Jesus when he brought his disciples together and he gave them this great commission to go make disciples of all nations. We often start in verse 18 of Matthew 28, but in verse 16, it actually says, When they saw Jesus, they fell and worshipped him. And some doubted, and then this commission came. And the point I want to make is that this great commission came from a place of worship and a place of reverence and honor. As they worshipped him, he commanded them and commissioned them. And again, I believe it's because Jesus wanted them to know this isn't a good thing. Go do your thing. This is a God thing. This is a divine thing. And it's out of that place of worship, out of that place of awe, out of that place this is a God thing that gives us courage and it keeps us motivated in what it is God's called us to do. So don't neglect the divine uh, element of what you and I are being called to, what we're involved in, whether it be small, where no one knows about it, or whether it be a big ministry, or whatever we're doing, friends, there's a divine nature to this thing. And it's vital for us to remember so we can be strong and courageous in it. You know, when we, when we lose the divine nature, we actually lose the value of the significance of what we're doing. And everything we do, it kind of be, gets limited to us and our thing. But, but when we keep the divine nature and understand that everything we do is for God, about God, it's on His side, it gives us value and it keeps God's call pure, which is what's so needed even when we're called to be a courageous people. It keeps it God's. When we lose the divine element of what we are part of, you know what happens? And this is so evident in the church today. Man's needs become more important than God's glory, which is tragic. Because it's about the glory of God, not just the, man, the needs of man. When we lose the divine element of what we've been called to, our strategy becomes a result of human observation rather than revelation. Let that sink in, friends. That too many of us are responding to human observation rather than divine revelation. And maybe as the church or as followers of Jesus or in ministry, we're busy with good stuff, but it doesn't make it God's stuff because we are observing the needs rather than getting revelation from God for what we should give in ourselves to. And that's important for us. I also want to say that, that when we lose the divine nature of what we've been called to, this is tragic, but we begin to magnify the minister or the gift or the, the person at the expense of the master or the giver of the gift. And that is so evident in the church today. May we not be a part of that. May we fix that. May we get our eyes fixed back on the revelation of Christ. And we make much of Him and we honor the gift, but we glorify the giver of the gift, who is Jesus Christ. Also, that when we lose the divine nature of what we've been called to, our mission, what we're involved in, really has no roots, no long-lasting fruit. But when it's based on the revelation of Christ and the understanding this is a divine thing, what we've been called to, and we're not on, He's not on our side, we're on His side, it actually gives us fruit, long-lasting fruit. And what we're doing has roots that are going to last for eternity. So again, those are some things, but I wanted to say again, we on his side, he's not on our side. And the question is, are we still on his side doing what it is he's called us to do? That was the question that he challenged um, 
Joshua with in a season of taking a, a, a city that was untakeable. But God's strategy came from a place of worship. And that's when God gave him in Joshua chapter 6 how he will take the city. That he must do this and God will do this. But it didn't come from a podcast. It didn't come from a, a, a book. It came from him on his knees recognizing the commander of the army of the Lord. Speaking to him. And I still believe there's some of that for us today. Where God wants to speak and give us courage to take cities and take regions. And, uh, but it's going to come back to that place of worship, friends. And also understanding this is God's thing, not our thing. And we need to keep it like that. Can I also just throw this out just in light of this thing of understanding and the commands for courage. That, that we need to know where our effectiveness comes from. It's not in just strategy. It's not in our gifts. It's not in our ability to do. It actually comes from God. When we get that understanding, our effectiveness comes from God. That's, my friends, where we find our courage and where we can be courageous. You know, laying hold of our call, I believe, means owning both our potential and our limitations. Many like to talk about their potential and highlight that or only highlight their limitations. But when you come to own your call, you understand. Lay hold of our call means we own both our potential and our limitations. Knowing what we can do, but also knowing what we can't do. But our effectiveness doesn't come from what we can do. It comes from God who gives us the ability to do what it is He's called us to. So we need to trust the Holy Spirit within us and upon us for us to be effective and to be courageous in the call and the mandate that God's given us. Allow your confidence to flow from that truth. It's God who empowers us and our effectiveness comes from Him. Can I also just say work on your craft as a leader, not out of desperation to be the best, but rather to create a context for God to use you more. So it's not about being the best. It's about God use me more. And I'm willing to do whatever I can. But I understand my effectiveness comes from you. That's where I find courage. And that's what keeps us strong. Just quickly on this. What keeps us effective? Well, just to some thoughts around this. And again, it's a little list I have in my Bible that I like to go to regularly and just make sure. Because I want to be effective. I'm sure you do. I know we're talking about courage here. But I don't want to just be courageous. I want to be effective. And that's why we need courage to be more effective. And so what keeps us effective? Well, obviously, first and foremost, it's the presence of God. He guarantees our success. And so again, we don't want to attempt anything without His presence. And we want to understand the presence of God and walk in His presence. That's what keeps us effective. He guarantees our success. What keeps us effective in ministry is prayer, personal prayer. Uh, disciplined I believe daily I'm not saying by law because we have to but we understand these disciplines are in place because prayer helps us uh, be effective and we want to do it daily sustain prayer and fasting whatever that means for you but I do want to say we can't skip over these things and think we can be courageous and effective if we're not praying and regularly getting together with God and communing with God and connecting with God and even fasting as a lifestyle not an occasion I believe passion our hunger for God and for the things of God keeps us effective. Are you still hungry for God and for the things of God? Not just what God can give you, the things God's called us to. Do they still motivate you? Do you still hunger for that? Because that, I believe, keeps us effective, which will help us be courageous in what He's called us to. Praise and worship. Be personal praises always. And regardless of if you can sing or not, whatever your voice sounds like or whether you can play an instrument. Honestly, I, I can't play an instrument. I wish I could. My middle son plays guitar. I wish I could play like him. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm a worshiper because I love Jesus. And I realize that effectiveness comes from personal praising 
not just putting on someone else's song. Sing your song to God because I do believe that's where we, if we personal, not corporate praises, personal praises will be effective. Power, God's power and authority and anointing, I do believe also keeps us effective. His prophetic promises. What do we do with what God said? I do think it's a season to get back to some of that. We got, Paul commanded Timothy to go and go read through and intercede over the prophetic words that have been spoken of our lives. Not because we're reminding God, because God, we're reminding ourselves of what God's spoken over us. Prophetic promises keep us effective. The purity, living a life of truth with our desires and our motives and our relationships, pure in all those things. Our perceptions of ourselves are helpful too. And again, this is helpful, I think, even when I'm talking about being a, um, a courageous people, that we have to understand, friends, that perception of ourselves is important. How we see ourselves, whether we over, some of us see ourselves as really awesome, others of us see ourselves as really bad, and they're both bad, they're both dangerous. We need an honest perception of ourselves. And I think the more we can understand who we are, uh, it comes from the revelation of who Jesus uh, we've got to have an honest perception of what is important, not just to us, but to God. Uh, a lot of guys are busy with a lot of things they feel is important. And again, friends, we're talking about courage here. And we're saying about taking the regions and taking the nations and taking cities and, and being courageous and being on, his t- doing, uh, being on his side, doing what he's called us to. Well, then the question is, what is important to us? No, no, what's important to him? And are those things important to us? We've got to get our, our value systems back and our priorities right, then what we're giving ourselves to is what God says is important. What is God doing right now? Or are we on what God's doing or are we on our thing and hoping God's in it? And our perception of others. Again, another great truth. How we see others is going to help us be more effective. And also just our priorities will keep us effective, which we've touched on already. So quickly, in trying to kind of bring this together, here's some commands that we've been given through Scripture, and a lot, most of them from the New Testament, but from the whole Bible, of, of, and I believe they're just commands for courage. That's what I, I think they, they, they represent, and they can mean many things, but I want to use them in the context in this preach around being a courageous people. So how? Well, the first thing we've got to do, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 tells us this, is that we need to set our minds. Set our minds. In Colossians 3, verse 2, it says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind. Friends, a lot of what we call to and this thing of courage comes, a whole other battle takes place in our minds. And, and I do believe the command we've been given is to set our minds on, on heavenly things, on things above. And when you, when you set your mind on things above, I believe you find courage. It's a command for courage. And so I wonder what we're looking at, what we're filling our minds with, where we're looking. Are we looking down or are we looking up? But we've been told to set our minds on things above. Secondly, and again, all of these can be preached forever and you can have serious, but I just want to give you the headlines in this preach. Secondly, we're to fix our eyes. So number one, we're to... For command for courage is to set your mind. Secondly, we to fix our eyes. Fix your eyes. Hebrews chapter 12, which we all quote, I know. But in verse 2, well, let me just read in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that he see so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So we're to fix our eyes, set our minds. Second, number two, fix our eyes. On who? On Jesus. That gives us courage, friends. That gives us the ability and the tenacity and the strength uh, to endure and press on. Not when we're looking to what's in front of us. Not when we're looking to the, the storm or looking to the, the walls. But when we're looking to Jesus. That gives us courage. And let that be the reality of where we're looking. Because that's a command for courage. And we all want courage. Well, then we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Thirdly, we to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. So these are commands. Guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, and again, the, the writer is talking about all these different things of fixing your eyes and walking this way and making sure your feet do not slip. And then, then the writer of Proverbs says this, but above everything, above all of this, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Another, the New King James Version says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. The New Living Translation, I like to just bring a couple of other translations to just make the point here. The New Living Translation says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. And the message, Eugene Peterson's message says, Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Again, so we're talking about courage here. And the command we've been given is to guard your heart. You know, the heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It's the part of our being where we desire things. The de desires that drive you can actually become the demons that drag us down. So be careful what your desires are. But that's what the heart represents, where we desire things. It's also where we deliberate things, where we make decisions, where we, we deliberate and we, we, we kind of contend for what we're going to do, friends. That's the heart and that's what it represents. And then obviously it's where we decide things. Someone said it's been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. It's the comprehensive term for a person as a whole. It's their feelings, their desires, it's their passions, it's their thoughts, it's their understanding, and it's their will. The place to which God turns, what? Is our heart. And we've been told to guard our heart. Why? Because it's there that character is formed. It alone holds the secrets of our true success. It treasures our prices, but we know they can be stolen. It's the center of your spiritual and moral life. The heart is so powerful. And that's why we've been warned to guard it above all else. But the truth is, if we can often be quite careless about where we let our hearts go. And we allow others to control our hearts. Don't forget this. Whoever controls your heart controls you. And so for us, the command is, above everything, guard your heart. Next thing, command we've been given is to lift up our hands. Lift up our hands. In Psalm 63 verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. And I do believe, friends, there's something that happens when we lift up our hands. Again, not as some order or command, but as a surrender, but also to understand and to lift our hands to someone who's greater. Power and authority comes. Courage comes. I, I find myself not just in meetings, on my own, just lifting my hands to God because we do find courage. And it's a command we've been given. Lift 
up your hands. It's a command for us to gain more courage. Number five is we are to restrain our feet. We are to restrain our feet. Psalm 119 verse 101 says, I have kept I, I, you have ke- I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may obey your word. Again, guys, without trying to be too watchful over our lives, but we've been told to restrain our feet. Don't go where evil is. Don't walk where evil is. Don't even walk where temptation is. It's not that we fear it, but we are called to be a courageous people and we want to be obedient to the word of God. So re- re- restrain your feet, in a sense, gives us courage. It's a command for courage. The next point is to stand firm. We are called to stand firm. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13, which we know well, I'm sure. But we're talking about the, 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 the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. Ephesians 6 13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so there's this command, friends, for us If we're going to be courageous, the command is we've got to stand firm. The next one is to hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. These are, you must say, well, what's this got to do with being courageous? I believe these are commands that keep us courageous and help us to be courageous. And this is a big deal when it comes to courage, is we're called to hold our tongues. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, sin is absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 to 37. Jesus teaches about some things about what we speak. He says in Matthew 12, verse 33, He says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, He says, How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Over the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks speaks we're talking about guarding our tongue the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him but i tell you that the men will have to give an account we will all have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that we have spoken for by your words you will be acquitted And by your words, you'll be condemned. So words have power from what we've just read to transmit power. They transmit things. They they have the ability to transmit power. They have the the ability to reveal our our character. What we say, what, what, what comes out of our mouth is the overflow of who we are in our hearts. And so they reveal our character. Also, we just read that our words determine our rewards or our judgment. Our words produce fruit. And our words, I believe, actually shape our destiny. I've often thought about this and thrown this question out. What would your world look like if all the words you've spoken all came to be? I wonder what kind of future we would have. May it be the future God intended because our words carry power and they shape our destiny. And the command we've been given is to watch your words. Be careful what you say 
that's something that will give us courage. Speak the right things, the God things, not the things that would hold us back in a time and a season like we're in. Okay, nearly done. Next point is this. Incline your ear. The last one. Incline your ear. Isaiah 55 verse 3. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you by faithful love promised to David. And so I do want to say what gives us courage is the hearing of God, inclining our ear to God. What is your will, God? What is your heart, God? What is what... What do you want, God? Think about that for a moment, friends. Most of us are decision makers. We have to be in leadership. We continue to make decisions for our own lives, for our ministries, for our churches, and it includes a whole lot of people. I've been incredibly privileged with the position I've been given that the decisions I make have influence of nations and regions and places and many, many people. And if we're honest, most of us just make decisions based on what looks best. But to have true courage, it's the ability to incline our ear to hear God. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the Word, the message, the Word of God. And so the point in all of this is, if we're serious about being on God's side, we're serious about doing the will of God, we're serious about being a courageous people, then we're going to have to hear God. How did we, when we started this, how did Joshua take the most fortified city. He heard God for a strategy. He knew what God wanted to do. And he had a role to play. And they did what they were supposed to do. And God did the rest. But he heard God. And that's what gave him courage to be able to say to his people, we're going to march around the city seven times, seven days. We're going to blow the trumpet and those walls are going to come down. What gave him courage? The ability to hear God. Not to do it, but to trust God because he heard God. Not he thought it could be God. He heard God. Friends, we cannot overestimate, I believe, the importance of the ability to hear God and do what it is He said. And that's why part of our command of courage is we need to incline our ears, go to God. Don't just make decisions. Don't just seek counsel from others. Can I be bold enough to say, don't even just ask our perspective as team members, which is part of our job is to help guys in their governing and so on. But more than this, how much do we go to God first and hear God? Because that's, I believe, what gives us Huge courage. So, so as our landers, what holds us back? Well, I think what holds us back from courage is the present. What we're facing now, most people will not walk into their future because of what they're facing now. Either the good of the now, they're so enamored with the present success that they won't look to the future. And friends, I want to tell you, while we're grateful for our history and for our present, we've got to be people who are future focused. But perhaps the fear of the now, the present, that holds us back from being who God's called us to be and for being courageous. There is no future in our past. While we have a history, our future is not in it. And so I want to just say what will hold us back is the present. Don't let the present determine the future. Let's look to what God's called us to. Even some of the battles we might have lost, the future belongs to the Lord. And if we're on His side, we can't lose battles. We can only win them. We might have some setbacks, but we can't lose if we're on the side of what God's called us to and what he's, what he's doing and we're backing Him. So what holds us back is the present. Secondly, another thing that holds us back is being pragmatic. I've been talking a lot about this because I think a lot of guys are making pragmatic decisions even in this um, coronavirus downturn where we're stuck and we're housebound and we're making decisions for the church. But it's a pragmatic approach. We're looking at observation and we, we, we're making decisions out of observation rather than out of revelation. I want to challenge you and I that we've got to go to God. We've got to hear God on the decisions of what we're implementing and what we're doing. It's not we're just learning from others, 
Yes, learn from others, but be careful that we're not being pragmatic. You cannot. We cannot approach our future in God and be a courageous people if we are uh, um, um, approaching our future pragmatically. There is no future in pragmatism. It's in Him. Now, I'm not saying we have to be stupid, but God's not in the pragmatic things. God's a God who wants to speak and give us strategies and and so just be careful. I believe if we live with borrowed truth, which many of us unfortunately do, we lead from, the, from observation. And that causes us actually to approach the future pragmatically. If we don't have revelation, if we're borrowing truth from others, then everything we do is out of observation, which forces us to approach the future pragmatically. But when we have revelation, when we're hearing God and responding, friends, then we're approaching the future the way God intended us to approach it. And to be honest, that's what gives us courage in a time and a season like we're in right now. Another thing that holds us back is being passive. You cannot be bold. You cannot be uh, courageous by being passive. Now, I'm not saying we should go and do our thing, but I am saying we've got to stir ourselves up and we've got to, we've got to in good times and bad times, be front-footed and and, and praying and trusting and advancing. The kingdom is about advancement, not about holding ground. It's about taking ground. And so if the devil, I believe, can't discourage us with hardship, he will try to distract us with ease. But ultimately, we get too busy being passive. And I'm telling you, friends, there's no future and there's no courage in being passive. Another thing is people-pleasing, which is probably one of the biggest challenges to true courage, is that we're too busy trying to please people that we've actually begin to offend God. That we are more about pleasing people than we are about pleasing God. I mean, think about that for a moment. It's so easy to fall into that trap. But how stupid is that? Forgive my candidacy, candidacy, whatever that is. Just understand how silly that is, that we care more about what people think than what it is that God's called us to. I don't know. I think we're going to have to shift our understanding back to the revelation of we're here to please God, not please people. If you are people pleasing, please know this, that when you get back to what God's called you to do, which we have to do if we're going to be courageous, the people you've tried to please are going to eventually go anyway because you can't please God and man. Now, I'm not saying like make it hard for people, but why do we even play and entertain people pleasing? Because the moment we get back to that, what God's called us to, people go. You can't serve God and man. You've got to choose. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. If I was still trying to win the approval of man, I could not be a servant of Christ. And that's still true today. So just, if we begin to please people, become people pleasers, friends. Honestly, there's no courage that's going to hold us back. And we're no longer living in the commands of what God's called us to. Two more, three more, and I'm done. Impatience. You know, we, we somehow equate courage with patience, impatience. Like if we're courageous, we just go do our thing. I want to tell you, part of being a courageous people is waiting for God to tell. Waiting for God to do. And there's many stories in the Bible of those who stepped out without hearing God or too soon. And we see the disaster. Even in the obedience of God, if we're not waiting for the timing of God, we're not going to be successful. And so again, friends, courage. You sometimes need more courage to be patient than you do to just go do your thing and hope God's in it. And so impatience is one of the killers and destroyers of courage. And so we can't be impatient. God's timetable, best way to deal with impatience is to be a prayer because then God puts you on His timetable and you get to perceive what God's doing and He sets His agenda in your heart and the timing means everything. So if you're impatient because you're not praying enough, 
Go and be with the Father. Spend time with Him and get His agenda. But impatience. Another thing is pursuing the wrong things. And again, we all would agree with this truth. But how true is it in our lives if you just look at what you're doing right now? I guarantee that many of us are pursuing the wrong things. And we can't be courageous if we're pursuing the wrong things. It's got to be back to what God, not good stuff, not what do people, one of us, what's God called us to. Focus on those things. Pursue the right things and we'll have courage and we'll have victory. And the last thing is there's no personal revelation. It comes back. We can talk corporate and big picture. We can talk all of us involved and everyone together standing side by side. And that is a great picture and that is true. But this truth comes back to personal revelation. My revelation will determine what God's called me to do and how long I will sustain it. It's not based on those cheering me or those encouraging me. It's based on my revelation. And when you lose or don't have personal revelation, I believe we're in danger of never being able to fulfill what God has for us. But also we'll never. We can try and live out these commands that I've given, that we've talked through. But if you haven't got personal revelation, if you're not owning it, and I do believe, friends, if we're not begging God to reveal more of Himself to us, that's where we get our, our faith from. That's where we get our courage is the bigness of God. And that comes from the place of uh, being on our knees before Him, a personal revelation. Are you still asking and begging God for revelation? And so, again, these are many truths, and I know that I've thrown them a lot out there. There's a lot more. Um, but I'm trusting it will just stir us to go and study the Word again. But also, friends, I'm telling you, I believe this season requires courage it's not being strong in ourselves. It's being strong in God and keeping our, this, these focuses true and making sure that these commands are not just commands we read, but we're living by. Let's go be courageous. Let's go and take ground. Let's go and take cities. Let's go and take regions. Let's go and get the job done. Let's make sure we're still on His side. And let's do it from a place of worship in holy awe and reverence to this great God. Because what we're doing is significant if it is what God's called us to and that matters most. doesn't matter what people say. So God bless you. Be strong and courageous. We look forward to seeing you again. Take care. How long? Uh, 38 minutes. Gee, huh? That was a lot of time.